From the Linney Podcast Studios in Nottinghamshire, I'm Damon Parkin, and this is Why. Join me on adventures in creativity and insight. We'll encounter filmmakers, artists, designers, academics and others as we explore what's new and what's next. Saturday morning on a typical high street in an average East Midlands town. There's a vape lounge to the left of me, a subway to the right and a queue outside Greg's. There's a sale sign in the window of Burton Menswear. It's the building that's for sale. The shop closed a couple of years ago. One in four of the stores has been abandoned. Many are boarded up. The rest are occupied by bookies, charities and hardy high street perennials like Wilco, WH Smith and Farm Foods. But dig around and you'll unearth a handful of hidden treasures. The Artisan Deli, the old-fashioned sweet shop, the micropub. Some of these unique independent traders weren't here last month and they won't be here next week. They're part of the UK's growing pop-up population. Uh, Local retailers creating and selling their own cakes, beer, jewellery, clothes. I've been learning what pop-ups can teach the big retail brands about meaningful shopping experiences in an era of e-commerce. You can hear the passion in, this, in what they're talking about. And that's really interesting because, of course, in the end, people buy from people, don't they? You know, <laughs> that's the thing. And I've been meeting some of the transient traders popping up across our towns and cities to discover what inspired them to join this retail revolution. My nine-to-five office job was slowly killing me, so um, it was necessary for me to leave it. The University of Derby's Head of Research, Professor Claire Brindley, and Professor Carly Foster, who heads up its Centre for Business Improvement, have been researching the potential for pop-ups to transform our high streets from just about surviving to thriving. Are our towns and cities really in decline or just evolving? Should they be forced to adapt to reflect how we live and shop today? Are we attempting to prop up an outdated notion of the high street? Professor Carly Foster. In my opinion, I think it's evolving. I know there's a lot of sort of research saying that it's declining. I think it's just changing. Um, You know, there's a lot reported on the, the rise of online retailing that's taking the interest away from the high street. But equally, there are high streets that are succeeding and changing and adapting to, you know, what customers want. So I think we're just in a period of a lot of change, but I think eventually that will settle, but we'll see a very different high street. And Claire, what will the high street of the future look like? I think very different. I mean, if we think about the personalisation agenda, high streets were very, got to be very samey. You didn't, you know, you didn't know whether you were in Doncaster, Derby or Darlington, they all looked look the same and I think it will actually revert back to a more personalised geographical space that somehow echoes the heritage what that town what that geographical region is about. So I want to explore um, pop-ups and temporary retail space and and the role that it potentially has in regenerating local communities and the high street. You've carried out research into this area I guess Carly what compelled you to look into this and kind of what form did your research take? It came from um, 
a view that's been echoed in the wider sort of press and, and government policy about the so-called decline in the high street and looking at innovative ways to regenerate that. And one of the suggested routes is through pop-up or, or temporary retail space. Pop-ups aren't a new thing. They've been around for a long time, but there's not much research been done on how they work, the types of pop-ups, why people might set them up. Um, and we wanted to understand more, and actually, were they the saviour of the high street? So we were commissioned by the, the Academy of Marketing to do a piece of work on that. Um, and that looked at um, customer viewpoints, the pop-up owners' viewpoints. We also did another piece of work that took a wider view, looking at the the pop-up and how that fitted within the local community mm-hmm. and, and taking um, on board views from uh, landlords, uh, town centre managers, shopping centre managers uh, and so on. And in terms of the characteristics of pop-ups, can you give us a flavour of those uh, you encountered? Were they um, start-ups trialling products, the larger brands using it as a marketing opportunity, e-commerce businesses testing in physical spaces? A mixture, so some were new startups, so had actually been displaced from retail organisations. Mm-hmm. So you think about you know, the decline in clothes shops, 75% of employees in those clothes shops were women. So women trying to become, you know, own their own business, become self-employed. So you had startups. You had businesses that were just attempting multi-channel. Mm-hmm. So they were an online business but wanted a physical space. Um, some were doing it in conjunction with their existing business. So we talked to uh, one baker that had got a high street shop. They took advantage of um, um, platform space that was part of a rail organisation's uh, CSR initiative. And at the end of the day, when the shop was closing, his footfall had gone. He hot-footed it down to the um, platform area and sold his cakes and bread to to commuters that are either departing or arriving from the station and he thought that was just a valuable way of you know getting rid of his surplus products that would have gone to waste pop-up retail is a perfect example of value co-creation in action empty often derelict sometimes historic buildings transformed into vibrant thriving shopping and leisure spaces for communities and consumers with benefits for developers landlords and retailers themselves Nestled in a quiet corner of Nottingham city centre is a sun trap of a courtyard, skirted by pale pastel washed walls and quaint terraced buildings. Built in the 1800s, it became a retreat for local artists and a photographer's studio. In 2013, after decades of neglect, a local property developer embarked on a mission to revive this once thriving creative hub. Today, pop-up food street vendors, street artists and musicians create a vibrant, dynamic atmosphere that draws the visitors. Cobden Chambers is home to Think, a creative meeting space and cafe that hosts workshops, exhibitions and pop-up shops. Think is co-owned by business partners Jean Booth and Emma Torrance. It's an organisation with a social purpose and a community focus, as Jean told me when we caught up in Think's Dash Garden Cafe. You're an educator and an entrepreneur, but there's a sense of altruism, I think, in, in what you do. Is there, would it be fair to say? Yes, we do need to make a living, and what we, we need to, to make what we call a good living, i.e. 
good in the aspect that it is ethical and we are concerned about the contribution that we make to the community, the way in which we employ people and the opportunities that we provide here for others because it is about supporting creativity, enterprise and positive social change. What do you think the bigger brands can learn from pop-ups, temporary retailers around the engaging service encounters to get that customer experience I think they can I think there's a learning going both ways I have to say that it's great if there's opportunities for learning both both ways but I think what larger brands can actually learn is a lot about engaging with customers whether that's using social media or talking to them directly and so on I think speed and being fleet of foot, (laughs) because literally when somebody is here behind a table, they can get feedback from somebody actually wanting to purchase one of their gifts or indeed not wanting to purchase one of their gifts. You can ask straight away, would you like it in a different colour and so on. I guess the other thing that um, I think you can learn is how you make money stretch a bit further. (laughs) Because many of the uh, creatives can just do do so many things on almost no money at all because they can look at how they can creatively display something how they can do some marketing for virtually nothing and I, I, I think it, it brings a kind of fresh idea and perspective to the kind of old ways of trying to reach customers and there's the provenance and the sustainability people can understand straight away oh my gosh yes yes and of course what what happens is, is when you're talking to somebody who's actually made something or indeed is selling something for even if it's for a friend and so on is you can hear the passion in this in what they're talking about and you can ask about the story they will tell you about the story how they actually came to be doing what they're doing and that's really interesting because of course in the end, people buy from people, don't they? You know, <laughs> that's the thing. So if you can kind of see a beautiful thing, but then hear the story behind why it was made and how it was made and what the kind of aspirations of the maker uh, are. Or even that's see great. it being made in front of or you. Or even see it being made in front of you. So, purchasing items from a pop-up vendor is a tactile, sociable experience, leading to engaging, memorable service encounters. And as Carly Foster and Claire Brindley discovered, it's about education as well as transaction. I think one thing that was successful with the pop-ups that we spoke to um, was that customers like to learn about the products. So often the products were made by the owner and that meant that they could be adapted as well so if it was a some sort of cosmetic they could understand about the ingredients and then they could respond almost immediately to what the customer wants so if they said okay I need that ingredient in it or can you do it like this can I have a smaller bottle or a bigger bottle they could respond to that which I think the bigger retailers would would struggle to do but that was obviously something valued by by these customers and I think taking forward is that sort of sociable aspect Mm as well so if they took the product home then then they come back and they say oh yes and you had you know the cherry chocolate last last week are you going to try that again this week or something something different and again a lot of the customers reflected on that and said oh you know they knew who I was they knew what I was buying but they didn't also pigeonhole me they said oh we've got a different type of cosmetic a different type of jewelry would you like to try that do you think this would suit you 
And and again about co-creation, the company, the pop-up owner was getting immediate feedback on whether that was a, a viable product line for them. Back at Cobden Chambers, it's a sunny Saturday morning in late March and Think is hosting a Mother's Day themed pop-up event for independent artists, designers and makers. Like Flo from Precious Stitch Studio, who's hosting her first pop-up. Um, I'm excited, a little bit nervous. I've just made my first sale, which was which was very exciting. I wasn't expecting that so early, but uh, yeah, it's going really well. I'm uh, Dean, Function Alchemy. I make uh, soap and basically things out of wood, so wooden spoons, wooden jewellery. I do a lot of runic uh, runic work, the Elder Fothark, the uh, Vi- what's known as the Viking alphabet. Was it a leap of faith to leave... I guess a steady job and come and do this and how are things working out? Um, I thought it was really necessary. My nine-to-five office job was slowly killing me, so um, it was necessary for me to leave it. And what do you think customers get from having a kind of interaction with you rather than walking into a lush or a retail kind of high street store? What, what, What do they get out of the experience of this? Beyond the quality of the product... Um, they, they can ask me questions about my processes, um, how, it's, how it's generated. I make everything from raw materials, basically. So um, I start with a piece of wood, I start with vegetable oils, I start with uh, kitchen ingredients, and I make something. I'm Lisa, I'm the silver forager, and I collect sea glass and make my own jewellery from that. I did a silversmithing course about three years ago and really enjoyed it. Realised that there are a lot of really good silversmiths in Nottingham, so I needed to find something slightly different. Um, I saw an article on the telly about sea glass and thought, right, off to the coast I go. Um, found lots of sea glass and really that's where the silver forager started. And where do you forage? Which, which coastlines? It's a secret. Um, I tend to go up to Northumberland, County Durham. Um, I found some pieces in Cornwall, pieces in Wales. So, yeah, all over the place. And tell us about your involvement with um, pop-up spaces. Do you do this a lot? Is this your kind of main way of selling? Um, I tend to do lots of markets, pop-ups, that sort of thing, yeah. Um, I I think that sea glass is a really tactile product, so people actually want to come up and touch it and look at it and hold it up to the light. It's quite difficult to sell that this online, I think, because people just can't do that. They can't get a feel for it. So, yeah, I like I like being at these sorts of events. So I'm Katie. Um, so I'm part of the partnership here at the cafe here, Dash Garden um, Vegan Cafe, um, and the craft stuff that we've got here today is a combination of, of my crochet shawls and things but also um, my business partner Sam's cards and her art supplies and what are the benefits of um, a lot of kind of independent retailers will sell online what are the benefits of of pop-up spaces and actually having those interactions with customers you can't beat talking to people um, basically, I mean, I, I do a lot of crafty things and I like to, I, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people about my arts and crafts because I tend to craft on the bus or in the cafe anyway. But being able to, to talk to people and see people interact and see what they like. And you, know, you get a lot of people who come to these kind of handmade markets who are crafty themselves. And that's really nice. The conversations that you have, you, you just don't get online. There's an air of authenticity about pop-ups like these. So, how can bigger brands convey the kind of honesty that's perceived of small, independent traders? Professor Claire Brindley. 
knowledge about the supply chain, so where the product has actually come from, because again, in the pop-up markets and that we explored, those stories were told. You know, I live on a farm, I've grown these onions that are going into this cheese and onion pasty. And so it was an understanding of that supply chain, what went into it, how that product was made, why that service came about. And it's, I suppose, making sure it is authentic rather than just branding it, you know, Farmer Giles's cheese pie in a leading, leading retailer. I think the other thing as well is that we haven't talked about is retail atmospherics. So the the um, the atmosphere around the selling experience. Some of the pop ups were in some really interesting spaces. So it wasn't always in a in a disused um, retail unit. We found them in libraries, in pubs, in in other big spaces that were used for something else. But they sort of sold that space temporarily for these pop-ups and and that added to the authenticity because they were able to make the space reflect what they were selling more closely and I think and you do see that a bit on high streets where you've got kind of really interesting stores but often the stores are all very similar and that doesn't create a very interesting space for people to shop in. Pop-ups are seen as authentic, honest, and there's a perception that they're more sustainable, perhaps in the ingredients they source, the materials they use, the local communities they support. Claire Brindley again. I think there's an example at the moment in in Stockholm that obviously, you know, particularly demographic, you know, Sweden's led the way about recycling and sustainability. It's part of their sort of cultural DNA. Um, but they've set up a sort of cooperative pop-up area next to a recycling centre and they go and thinking, oh yeah, and there was sort of an example, I think, people throwing away leather jackets or leather settees and then, you know, the the person owning the pop-up going down recycling those, making them into leather, to leather lamps. And again, apparently that, you know, those those retailers those pop-up owners are working together so if somebody finds something that's in the recycling skip that could be useful to their next door neighbor they say oh can I have that bit of flex and you have that bit and we'll make the two different products um if the pop-ups are part of a community mm-hmm. that's a really sustainable sort of proposition because it helps to support the local community they're likely to employ people from the locality the customers are local the products are made locally um, so it's quite a neat, sustainable model if if it works. Yeah, and I think it's again, um, what, you know, one of the rail companies that we worked with, part of the research, they saw pop-ups as one of their CSR agendas. So you know, people in the locale could bid for that space on mm-hmm. the platform or on the station station forecourt, and they thought it, it was putting something back to the to the locale. Um, Obviously, you've got the issue of shorter supply chains, so that can be a sustainable way mm-hmm. because, you know, pr- product to market was a shorter space, so you could be re- reductions in fuel, pollution, tr- transport. Um, um, if it was in, in, in clothes, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about fast fashion. Um, and again, the mileage that goes into that, where are they actually produced? Mm-hmm. And it probably goes back to the authenticity uh, discussion that they're made by the pop-up owners. I don't think you could make a you know, broad sweeping statement that all pop-up owners are um, 
ethical. But again, it is attracting, you know, a number of creatives, people that have been displaced from big businesses and don't want to work there again. You know, they've they've been made redundant. Um, They've suffered from the decline in particular industries in their geographical area. And they want to go back to a small business that's doing something for their local community. Let's wrap up where we first popped up with a question about the future of the high street. Jean Booth. It's going to need to need to change. So we're seeing these really big companies f- finding themselves in difficulty. Huge department stores with masses of space paying massive rents and so on. And so you can kind of think, well, how might that those spaces be used differently? And um, and it's it, in, in terms of the the high street generally, in terms of the retail experience. I think we're moving much more to being needing to provide an experience rather than just products. So people want to learn something or do something or you know have 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 a, an experience or a good time or whatever it is. So it means that um, you. As a retailer, you kind of need to think about how you build that experience in. Indeed, put it at the forefront of of what you need to do in the business. So, can temporary retail spaces refresh and revive our town and city centres? Will they be the saviours of the high street? Carly Foster and Claire Brindley. I'm not sure they're the saviour. And and our study's shown that for them to be successful, it's not going to work if you just open up one pop-up on its own. It's got to be embedded within the wider community. But I think if it's done right with complementary other offerings, then it it can help to regenerate the high street. Yeah, I think there's got to be that variety there. I think the learning from our research would suggest it's how the various stakeholders work together because if you haven't got that virtuous circle, then the high street won't work in whatever you put into it. Claire Brindley. Discover more retail insights at linney.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at linney1851. And search for Linney on LinkedIn and Facebook. Subscribe to the Y podcast wherever you listen. And our next episode will pop up. Thank you.